0: Today's podcast is a lot of drafts. We're not going to have it open for it because we went way too long in life advice anyway. We've got Sam Bassini, about an hour on the lottery, a little sneaky second round, late first round stuff. And also Chris Ebersol, who works with the NBA's international program. Uh, unbelievable stuff coming from overseas in all directions to the NBA. So let's do it. It's Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode of the Ryan Russilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life they taught me to want they taught me the taste of anticipation there's no wrong way to eat a french fry from mcdonald's unless you're eating my french fries get your favorite mcdonald's fries today We are one week from the draft, so we'll spend a lot of time, uh, as you know, with today's lineup in San Vicini of The Athletic. Also, the Game Theory podcast with Matt Penny. I think you guys are doing that two days a week now? I was looking through it. Two uh, times a week. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it. Let's dig in. Uh, You do a great job on all this stuff, so I I love talking with guys like you who do it year-round. Let's start at the top then. Where are you at the top? Well, it sounds like you have a top four, but of of the options for <laughs> Orlando, let's at least keep it where everybody else seems to be, with Chet, Paolo, and Jabari. Yeah, where are you or their talent, the conversation around it, and then ultimately the Orlando part of it?
1: Yeah, look, at the end of the day, I like all four of these guys. I like them a lot. I think they're all legitimate potential all-stars. I don't have any of them as, you know, tier one talents like on the Cade Cunningham, where we had Zion Williamson level. I don't have any of those guys there. But I like all of them, you know, at relatively similar levels to how I liked Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs last year, where I was really high on all those guys. So I am a big fan of these guys, I like Jabari and Chet just a little bit of a level above the other two. And it's in large part because I trust Jabari and Chet a little bit more defensively. Chet's his own conversation defensively. You know, I think he has some of the best defensive anticipation I've ever evaluated uh, in a prospect. And I think it's really going to help him make up for the weight deficiency as he starts his career. Jabari, man, I see the conversations around Jabari and I understand the concern about his lack of playmaking and his lack of handle. I think that the margin for error for someone like Jabari is just different for other people because he's so big and can shoot over the top of anyone and already has dexterity as you know an 18-year-old that played college basketball this season at getting to his step back. I really kind of wonder if we're kind of underrating his ability to potentially just get to his spot and shoot over the top of whoever the hell he wants to shoot over the top of. And he could be like a legitimate like 24 25 point per game scorer at his peak I think. Like it's it's hard to find someone that's 6 foot 10 shoots 42% from 3, can shoot from the mid-range and has like actual ability already at that size to get to his spots. So I like Jabari and Chet just a little bit more than the other two, but uh you know, I think as long as Orlando picks one of those guys it makes sense.
0: Yeah, I like all of them. So, you know, when I want to talk up one, I mean, my statement or position here for a few weeks has been that I just think Paolo is the best basketball player of the three of them right now. And yeah. I know that's not necessarily what the job is, but I also kind of think it's weird, especially when I'll talk to a team and be like, well, wait, if you're telling me that you agree with me that Powell is the best player of all of them, why is his ceiling automatically lower than if he's just better than those guys now? Uh, but I also get that the Chet ceiling part of it, no one can match what the potential of Chet ceiling is. So I'm not arguing that Paolo could be this version of Chet that we're all sort of in love with. But I think your defensive instinct thing with Chet is really special because it's not just the rim. Like when I would watch him do stuff where he'd get almost caught in a bad position and he'd be backpedaling against a driver and he yeah. would line up left hand on right hand release and then he would like <laughs> m- magically switch his hands as he was off balance so we're not just talking about somebody help defend on on the guy to the rim and come off yours he does some stuff where you're right like you see his instincts where he's like oh wait i gotta change my hand now to contest the shot and there's just not many people that do that kind of stuff but unless you want to follow up to that we can but i do have another thought that i want to throw it to you
1: well i'll just say like you know you see like the opposite free throw line like rotations right from chet Holmgren where you can literally see him diagnose what's happening on the other side of the court and you see him just fly down from the opposite elbow and it's just like how the hell did he see that it's just like special stuff like that and yeah you know i i assume your next point is going to be about paulo right well i also
0: when i see somebody who's not great defensively unless it's a disaster um If they're not great defensively, as a guy who's been at school for one year, I try not to put a ton into that. Like whatever my ratio of of the things that I think are valuable or concerning, I think most of these guys aren't very good at defense because they (laughs) either haven't had to be, or you know you're not you're not defending the way you are. My default with NBA defense is if you care and you have some size, that should be good enough. (laughs) am <laughs> serious. So,
1: I, yeah, I don't disagree with that on some level. Like, I, I, I think that the conversation has probably gone a little bit too far in the like, oh, he's a flat out negative defensively with Paulo, right? I think he's, I think he knows where he needs to be. I think he's an incredibly intelligent basketball player. And those guys, they tend to play up a little bit whenever they get to the NBA, those guys that have super high IQ, right? The thing with Paulo is I do worry about the foot speed a little bit as we continue to move further and further into this modern NBA. And you just kind of, when you're trying to come up with lineup constructions that work for Paulo in the playoffs, in moments that matter, do you see him as a small ball center? Like what in the playoffs? Like, do you see him like being able to slide up to the five? Cause that that's where my worry is. I I don't know that I see that, but I also don't know that I, fully trust him like chasing fours off the ball but like you might be able to hide him on like a pj tucker or someone like that in the playoffs to where it it can work but then teams are just going to have pj tucker come up and set screens for ball handlers so it's complicated i think trying to come up with what his exact role is defensively even though i think he can make it work defensively I guess I just
0: keep factoring that he's going to run high screen and roll for you, and drive with that yeah. size, and pull up, and then also <laughs> make plays like he did against uh, Tech. You know, because yeah. I saw the Tech I game, I go, "Man, like, why are we, why are we knocking this guy?" And as, you know, I, I'll share it with you. I don't want to repeat myself too much on the podcast, but when you watch the first half of the Gonzaga game, <laughs> you go, "Wait, I'm supposed to take somebody ahead of Paolo <laughs> So, but that's not what the evaluation is. That's not the entire game. Yeah. So the other part of Jabari, I I don't know that I've ever seen somebody as young as him, as patient as he is defensively, too. Yeah. Like, here he is, his physical presence, and yet he'll play you with his chest. You know, if you're deep and you think you're at the rim and you're trying to just give him one little fake and then get ready, like, he stays down. He's patient. He's he's timing you. It's really mature stuff. And if you go, all right, he shoots it, and he has his size, and I already know, defensively, like, his baseline's beyond the other guys, then, then I kind of get it. And that's what I think is so fun about it. But you'd said yeah. something about how Paolo or some of these other higher IQ players, high-profile players kind of play up a little bit. I think this is a good transition into Ivy because I went back and watched the Purdue-Wisconsin game where Johnny Davis had 37. Uh, Ivy had foul trouble in the first half. So all 37 were not – like Davis didn't give him straight up 37 points in that game at all. But I also noticed Ivy, who can be a little flat-footed, maybe loaf a bit defensively, it felt like, oh, I'm actually seeing more competitiveness out of you despite Johnny getting the headlines and the win that day. Um, because I think those Ivy knocks are—it's hard because you're like they're there. I should I should be upset about them, but I'm also yeah. thinking that maybe in the NBA this guy's a little more competitive, and we're going to get better effort, which isn't a great excuse, but I do think is reasonable.
1: Yeah, like well, when I've asked around about Jaden, the consensus that I've gotten from people at Purdue is like, no, this dude is a crazy competitor. Like he wants to win really badly, and sometimes it would manifest itself in ways where like you'd see him get super frustrated. He throws hands up and like, you know, get annoyed a little bit. Sometimes it's teammates, but like not in a deconstructive way. Like it's, it's complicated to kind of evaluate what his, he got uh, mad at himself. Body language. He gets mad at himself too. Yeah. 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 Like he'll, he'll like see Trevion Williams and then he'll make a read late or Trevion Williams will make like the, like, wrong decision, and he'll just be like, oh, God, like, and just uh, like, fuck, like, I screwed this up. And it's fine. Like, I think that he'll be better in that regard than the NBA. But the thing is that the defensive stuff is weird because I think he's actually better as an off ball defender than he is on the ball. And he's going to be relied upon to play on the ball, I think, defensively, unless you play him next to a, uh, like, you know, Pat Beverly or someone like that. Uh, and I don't know what to make of that yet. Like, He did a better job on Max Christie, like chasing Max Christie off of screens and just like completely obliterating him in their game against Michigan State than he did against Johnny Davis, like where Johnny Davis is taking a million, you know, on balls and is trying to separate and get into the mid range. And Jaden's getting clipped on every screen and getting frustrated and getting in foul trouble. So uh, I think he's so athletic. He is such a joke athletically that he's going to be able to make it work, but it's not a certainty that he has the like awareness level defensively at this point to like be able to step in and be an effective defender
0: I really like him and I went back and watched <laughs> the under 19 game yeah. against France where you just see certain things that he does and you're like there's nobody else who can, can move around like this and I mean I did the full I did way too much Purdue breakdown probably on Sunday night with Bill so we don't need to do it all here again I think he's a better passer than you realize. I think he actually sees a few more things on the drives. I know they're not always pretty. I know it's turnovers. I know against St. Pete, it was really frustrating because I should probably just say St. Peter's, but he just, you could tell there were some possessions where he's like, all right, I got to try to find a way to take over and do this. And it's these drives, these dump downs. And I know they weren't always pretty, but I guess part of me felt like at least he's seeing it or he's forcing the issue. He's, he's trying to like, will his team into this win and in a real big negative, which was a terrible game for him and for Purdue to lose it, I still found some little positives because of that competitiveness right. that you talked about.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I know you don't want to dive into Purdue, but it sounds like you did it on Bill's podcast. I haven't listened to that yet. But like the, the Zach Eady Trevion Williams thing was so weird. It was yeah, so, fair. so weird. Yeah. Like there's no there's no other way around it. Like you have this idea where you have Trevion Williams, who's this incredible, unbelievable uh, big man who can short roll and play make like I talked to big 10 coaches that were like Trevion Williams is the best passer in our league like we don't really know what they're doing at Purdue not playing this guy so they understand that Zach Eadie really good but to have this guy Jade Ivy who's an incredible downhill athlete getting to the basket and playing him next to like this plotting seven foot three big when you have you know, Trevion Williams short roll guy to where you can't put two on the ball against Jaden Ivey uh, in ball screen scenarios or Trevion is just going to obliterate you with kickouts. Uh, look, I, I think that it was not a very, like I like Matt Painter. I think he's a great coach. I don't think he did a great job with this roster this season. And I think because of it, we didn't get to see everything that Jaden Ivey is capable of showing. I mean, Ryan, like there are moments where this dude just like runs around point of attack defenders. Like, they'll be in good position. It'll be like an athletic point of attack defender. And he's just like, okay, I'm just going to get to the rim now. Like, you can't do anything. You can't stop me. It's hilarious. Like, he has, him was most hilarious
0: face. Right. right. Like- no, hit him with space. There's there's off-ball cuts. He doesn't even get the ball. And I go, oh my yeah. god. Like, look what he just did. And then this gear that he gets to. He is an elite wing athlete. Like, he will be in the NBA, and he will stand out athletically. And yeah. You know, there's plenty of guys that are athletes he's he's whatever he is, he's the level above that, and I know the sacramento part of this you go like, Fox, yeah, I saw you want to jump in so just take it there
1: well, well, yeah, so do you you just said wing, do you think he's a leader? do you think he's a wing
0: oh, i don't I don't think he's I don't think he's ready to be initiating stuff with you, you know, yeah, uh, but you would I mean, you would like say he develops and he's pretty good, i mean you're you're running him. I mean, look, most of this league's all high ball screen anyway with the ball handler, Right. But I don't think you'd be handing the keys to them. And then that's the other Sacramento part of this. Like, it feels like a bad fit with Fox. But, you know, the guys that figure it out, the most valuable guys are the ones that figure out how to play with the ball. And then then get somebody else involved and kind of take turns. I think that's what was so engaging about Cade is that it was this bad Oklahoma State team and <laughs> he still was like a really willing teammate to do some stuff off the ball, even though he should have never not had the basketball. And that right. was the stuff with Cade, all the <laughs> stuff that I loved about Cade. And then on top of I'm like, oh, he's totally okay with this part of it too. That's why like right. if there was some version that Jaden ended up in Detroit with Cade, I go, well, hell, this is, this is perfect for him. But right now, if, you know, if it's in Sacramento, somebody's in his way and everything, I, I guess if I were a GM, I just go, Hey, I need multiple shot creators. So what am I going to do? Not take one now? Because, and by the way, it appears that yeah, Ivy mean the camp want nothing to do with Sacramento anyway, like right. they're not even going there. So I don't know if that'll factor into it or not, but I think we're kind of on the same page of how special it can be, although frustrating at times.
1: Yeah. I would just take them if I was the Kings, I'd take them yeah. and figure it out later. Like maybe it's you trade De'Aaron Fox. Maybe it's, you know, you just, try and play all three of these lead guards together uh, or, you know, whatever you want to call I agree with you.
0: He's never, Davion's never going to be a lead guard in the NBA. He just is,
1: right? um, Oh,
0: okay. Whoa, look out.
1: (laughs) His last 20 games were good, man. (laughs) Like it was, it was the last 20 games on a shitty Sacramento team. I get it. But like, he averaged like 16 points, eight assists. He's a killer point of attack defender. Like if you told me that he's like, slightly better pat beverly where he can actually like run a bit of offense whereas pat is just purely off the ball we were saying
0: lead guard right okay just don't yeah, I, I don't think of pat beverly that way and i'm just gonna go with like a rule it's my
1: it's yeah. my gerald
0: green rule those last few weeks of the nba season sometimes it's hard are, man are not I know. are not the things you want to start basing future decisions on and you know honestly we should mention yeah. sabonis because it's not like sabonis doesn't need the basketball to get to work either so, totally. I mean, Sabonis is a very ball-dominant <laughs> thing. Like, a lot of things I like about his well-rounded game, that's why I think the Pacers after a while were like, well, shit. <laughs> like, we we got to let him kind of, like, turn face and wor- get to work. <laughs> like, go back to the 90s, man. And I like, like this.
1: Yeah, this is why the Kings moving Tyrese Halliburton made no sense to me, None. because Tyrese is the exact guy we're talking about that makes everyone right. better, that fits with every player on the roster, whereas Sabonis, Sabonis fits with you know, some players, he's a great player. I don't mean to, like, shit talk to Modus Savonis, but, like, it's it's harder to build a team with him and you already have these constraints because you have these two smaller point guards in De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell, and now you're at four, you have, like, another situation you have to deal with. I don't know. It's hard. Like, if I was the Kings, I'd be moving this pick. I'd either be trying to move up to number two, see what Oklahoma City is willing to, you know, willing to do or I'd be trying to move back to like number six where maybe the Pacers want to try and jump the Pistons to try and get one of Keegan Murray or Jaden Ivey and then pick up you know my my idea that I've floated on my podcast is like would you move Chris Duarte and six for four and then if you're the Kings you pick up a really good player you want to try and make the playoffs this year you move back to six you maybe get a guy that fits better that's probably in the same boat as Keegan Murray as it is
0: yeah that's not that's not crazy I don't I mean, I like Duarte, but I'm I'm not gonna freak out if he's not part of my yeah, future. No. You know, and then four, it means I'm gonna get one of the four guys there that drops unless the Ivy thing were to get really weird. You know what we should have done though? Uh because I still want a bunch of names, so I'll I'll go quicker here. I think we should at least talk about the Chet factor, though, with Oklahoma City. Everybody seems to think that Presti wants to take him. I don't know if that's because they think that Presti still doesn't want to be good, so he can get the French kid next year, Victor, who is that special of a prospect. If you had a chance to watch him play, uh, I look at him and I feel like he's a six eight guy in a video game that a kid just stretched out to like seven foot three, and he moves mm-hmm. around like he's still the six eight guy. He just happens to be that yeah. tall. It's insane. So. I don't know if there's some gamesmanship going on here with Orlando where it seemed like they were cool on the Bancaro part of this, but I talked to um, somebody today that had said that there is a plan to actually get Paolo to Orlando, so I don't know what the hell's going on there. Um, but would it be that Orlando was like, look, if we're close in Jabari and Chet, why don't we just convince everybody we're taking Chet one? So that way, Sam Presti will at least give us one of his million picks to move up and we still get the guy we probably want. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. Um, a lot of bullshit flying around this time of year. But I just yeah. thought it was kind of interesting that it feels like Orlando. The rumors are always about two guys and not the third guy. And maybe it's just their own board. So who, who knows?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's hard this time of year. There's always, you know, so much smoke. Flying around. I mean, with, with <sighs> my, my impression is that this has never been a done deal with Jabari at number one. Like, I, I think that anyone who thought it was done, mm, I, I, I had been kind of told that the decision hadn't been made as of you know, uh, last weekend, right. And maybe it has by now. I don't know. I haven't like reached back out or anything. But I think that they are going through their process, and it's hard for me because personally, I think Jabari and Chad are just like a little bit of a level above paulo Yeah, but maybe I that's just as simple that, as
0: what it is. That image just might yeah, be what it is, right?
1: Yeah, it might be that simple. And if you're Oklahoma City, you're probably pretty happy with either Chet or Jabari, right? Like, I I don't think you're upset with either. I saw yesterday Jabari was in Oklahoma City. There was a photo flying around of uh, Sam Presti meeting him off of a plane or something like that. So, like, it seems like if you're Oklahoma City, you're probably happy with either. So why do you move up and give up one of your additional assets unless you just adore the guy, number one? I will say that, like, the more I think about the Chet Holmgren thing with Oklahoma City, it makes perfect sense for them because... The thing that they want more than anything is to have five guys that can grab and go on the break, right? They want to be able to just sprint, get down court, get to their offense, and then also have that like defensive versatility, right? This is why we've seen like Isaiah Roby playing the five for them at times, where as fine as Isaiah Roby is as a player, how many organizations would play him at the five versus the four? Like very, very few. So I think that Chet's the perfect fit for them. At the end of the day, like he makes perfect sense. He actualizes their defense. He's the grab and go guy on offense. He can shoot. He can play outside. He can play on the perimeter. It wouldn't surprise me if they've like kind of decided on that. Like th- I, this time of year, I always default to what is the most logical outcome. The most logical outcome based on how Oklahoma City has one to play under Mark Daniel is that they love Chet Holmgren. I think.
0: Well, and there's also something that backs it up too. His agent, Bill Duffy. Very powerful agent, been doing this yeah. a long time. I've been told this is where Duffy and Chet want to go. They want to go to Oklahoma City because you just mentioned the players that they've been playing in the front court. And you start thinking about that second contract and the opportunities. And he has way more freedom because of the roster in front of him than maybe he would in Orlando. Although I think Orlando feels really good about, you know, one of their bigs. And I don't know what's going to happen with Moabamba down there, but, uh, yeah. I, I, I think that that's the preference that I've heard and it makes a lot of sense from basketball standpoint of, of being brought along, but also getting more opportunities to kind of show, you know, Chet is a very impressive player when it is, when you see how well he fits in with the pieces mm-hmm. around him, he's adaptable, he can do a lot of different things, um, but it also is yeah. nice too when there's just roster freedom ahead of you at your position that you're going to play, whatever that is. All right, so let's get to five. I'll make sure we go quicker here. Give me the number of names, Sam, that you think are like, okay, that's okay if he goes fifth. He's okay if he goes fifth. How many names do you have before you're like, okay, that's too high to take him ahead of the others?
1: Yeah. My next tier is five through nine. So I would say that's five guys, I guess. I have in that tier, Keegan Murray, Ben Matherin. I have Jeremy Sohan. I love Jeremy Sohan. So you're a Sohan. Later on. Yeah. Yeah. I have, who else? I have Dyson Daniels in that tier and I have one other player. Let me pull up my table as we're talking. It is uh, Shaden Sharp. So like Shaden Sharp, I think, is just a total wild card. He fits well with Cade, I think, because he's that like potential primary scorer. You just have to be all in on whatever is going to happen with Shaden. And I don't know that anyone has an answer on that. At this, Have you heard about his workouts? I have not heard that they've been stellar. I would
0: yeah. say That's what, uh, <laughs> he I, like for those that have not seen him you know this is the mystery man from Canada for whatever reason Kentucky pretended for a while that he was actually coming back uh, I don't know I still don't know what the hell was going on with all these different so storylines
1: for, for what it's worth there I think that Shaden like pretended that he was coming back like I, I don't think that that was just the Kentucky <laughs> side
0: <laughs> okay and then there was like the statement that was issued and we know he didn't write it and you know, again, I'm not <laughs> knocking anybody in the process. We all know what this is about, so you become desensitized to it. But I mean, the thing was like, wait, what? We haven't heard from this guy, and now he's like yeah. issuing this statement. And I, I yeah. watched, I watched all the eypl stuff, and I don't know. He is as confusing as a player as I've seen in a long time. I had a team that had him fifth. Um, yeah, you know, I rarely say like, hey, this is the dumbest team I talked to, but it is a very smart team. Uh, yeah. they won't be in the mix for it. And for the audience, just listening to this, cause you may not have access to the EYBL games, uh, which are sort of the default here. He shoots every fucking time and it kind of goes in enough that he's allowed to. And you're like, man, it's, it's, I, yeah, I'm with you. This is like, he's a real boomer bust guy, but with the size and the shooting ability, like you understand why he's going to go where he's going to go. Five still feels high in front of some of the more polished guys though.
1: Uh, I personally agree with you that five feels a bit high. I mean, he, uh, I think that like the, the numbers in terms of his pull-ups are insane. If you look at it in comparison (laughs) per synergy, uh, hit 47.6% effective field goal percentage on pull-ups, uh, doubled the output of pull-up jumpers created, uh, in comparison to the guy that took like the 15th most pull-ups in EYBL. So, do they, like the EY, do they have the EY? Do they have his
0: breakdown? Like, I know it's. I always put the possession breakdown of what percentage of plays he's primarily possession wise. Like, what do you have his number? I'm putting you on the spot here. Do you have yeah, his number for I can, what spot up was? I can grab
1: it. I mean, it's it's.
0: Is it like forty percent? What you
1: think it is? <laughs> I mean, look, like it might be a little bit higher, but like it, it's all isolation, it's all high ball screens, you know. I mean, some of the what isolation
0: you're... would be the same as what he's doing from from spot up, but for again on synergy, it'll it'll break it down. It'll be spot up, post up, pick and roll ball, handler, pick and ball, uh, pick and roll ball uh, roll man, uh, offensive rebounds, transition isolation, all this different yeah, stuff. Like so, if you're above so got... if you're above thirty percent on your number one, like that's a pretty heavily weighted trend of what your primary offensive play is but go ahead
1: so so I've got it it's 32% isolation or, or 32% transition I'm sorry 21% isolation 10% spot up 7% pick and roll ball handler so they're calling uh,
0: every pull up off of isolation isolation
1: yeah I would think so yeah. and then there are probably right. some moments there are probably some spot ups in there too where he's like catching the ball on a kick out, maybe taking a couple dribbles and hitting to a step back. Where those are probably getting counted as isolate or uh, se- uh spot ups as well.
0: Okay. It's yeah. bizarre.
1: It's 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 he's he is in he is a legitimately high level shooter, shot creator, pull-up yeah. guy. Totally. The, the thing is that I think people don't recognize how thin the line is between Anthony Edwards and like Terrence Ross. Uh it's the ability to like really consistently put pressure on the rim all the time. Like that's what makes Anthony Edwards incredible. His intersection of power and strength. Shaden, you know, Terrence Ross is an incredible athlete, right? Terrence Ross, did he win a dunk contest? Like he I think might he have one. Yeah. Um, incredible athlete, but always is trying to get to his pullback or his pull-up, his step back. And you know, he can do it to his right, he can do it to his left. He's incredible as a shot creator that way. But <laughs> it's that ability to pressure the rim. It's that ability to actually get good shots as opposed to getting to your step back that separates these guys from being really good shot creators, guys who can run a second unit like Terrence Ross versus guys who are all stars and Terrence Ross shoots 40% from three. He, you know, can run a second unit, create offense that way, but he's just not like a starting caliber player. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the the idea behind that is there, but it's he's just not good enough to do it at the end of the day. So I think that with Anthony Edwards versus you know Terrence Ross versus Shaden Sharp, I think that Sharp's somewhere in the middle of those two. I think he's a little bit more powerful than Terrence Ross, but like I have him at nine on my board. Like I, I'm I'm not quite as high on his first step. I think he's more of a decelerator than an accelerator. I worry a little bit about his ability to consistently pressure the basket at the end of the day.
0: I think if you just watch clips of him, you're like, oh, this guy's a sick athlete. I don't know that he plays like a sick athlete all the time. And I could be wrong. In the half court,
1: he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, you're right. The transition stuff he gets out, it's really great. But like, there's a difference between being athletic and then, I don't know how to phrase this, but like, there's plenty of guys that look really athletic, but do you play athletically? Do you, are you always? Yeah. yeah. And I think there's It's functional. It's
1: functional athleticism. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, so where are you with Keegan then? Because at his best, you go, wait, what's the problem here? He's big, he makes shots, he, he he checks so many different boxes, but it it does seem to be kind of a consensus thing of, I don't know if it's just the lower ceiling than the other guys, which is totally fair, which is what this, this job is all about. But just give me your yeah. Keegan breakdown.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to be a great player. Uh, the guy I keep bringing up with him is Tobias Harris, right? Like, I think that we often underrate how valuable Tobias Harris has been over the course of his career. I think over the last five years, he's averaged like 18 points, six rebounds, three assists, shot like 48 and 40 from three and 85 from the line. I worry a little bit about what Keegan looks like in the playoffs. I don't love his defense. I think that he's a riverboat gambler to try and create possession uh, possessions out in transition where he's one of the best downhill athletes uh, that you will find in college basketball this past season. But you know, I, I think he makes a lot of sense on offense at the end of the day. Like, I, I think that he's going to be an absolutely terrific offensive player who fits right in as a third option. A lot of his stuff, though, is like, you know, post mid post taking advantage of mismatches on bigs or smaller players. And that's not going to fly at the next level. So he's going to have to adjust his game. But I think he can do it. Like, I think he's a, like really high level human being that will adjust.
0: OK, Mathurin, if he goes five, no problems with it, right?
1: I have him five, actually. Yeah, well, I, I guess you don't have a
0: problem with
1: it. Yeah, yeah, I am a fan. Uh, I, I I get his conceptual fit in the NBA a little bit more than Keegan's because of the shooting ability. I think he really improved as a passer. That's one thing that Keegan has never really done. He hasn't really made high level passes for his teammates yet. Ben, I think, has really started to improve in that regard. Ben is also still nineteen. Like I think he gets treated as if he's this, uh, you know productive multi-year college player he's like half of a year half of a year older than Dyson Daniels who gets treated as if he's just like all upside all the time so yeah no I'm a big fan of Ben Matherin he needs to improve his second and third effort defensively needs to be willing to do you know all the little stuff but the ceiling is there like I I really actually kind of buy Ben Matherin
0: yeah personalities wise too like I don't think this I don't think he's ever going to be like this is too much for me. You know, there's a fine line too there of like yeah. never being afraid and like I'd like you to be a little more afraid. <laughs> you know, can you just be a little bit more like just a, a dash of afraid every now and then instead of like you know, fucking any yeah. house not afraid. So, uh anyway, um is Sohan a fit for everyone or is Sohan only going to be what we want him to be because i'm a huge fan as well uh he, yeah. he doesn't need to take a shot attempt and he could run around for 30 minutes and impact a game that's what i've and he has the size and the athleticism you know yeah. there's some of these college guys around again we're still talking about a one and done here with him but there's some of these players that i fall in love with that i know hey that's never gonna it's never gonna work it's not gonna work so don't don't pretend that this guy's a prospect right but so athleticism youth and size uh I'd like to think everyone could use a player like this, but I'm afraid that a team will do something stupid and say, okay, sit in the corner offensively, and then, you know, you don't provide any space and people play <laughs> off you, and he's, you're wasting his time out there.
1: Yeah, I think that when make Think of Mark Jackson with him is my point.
0: If Mark Jackson Yeah, no, so I'd be him, terrified. Right? Yeah,
1: right. yeah, no, I'd be absolutely terrified. He needs to go to a team that has a creative head coach. He needs to go to a team that is willing to be patient with him offensively. Uh, he is a phenomenal defender. He is like a legitimate one through five switch defender. And those guys exist in such small capacities in the NBA. Like Scotty Barnes struggled this year, like one through five, like he struggled with smaller guys. Like I think Jeremy Sohan is a better switch defender than what Scotty Barnes was last year, which was a huge pitch for Scotty. Now. Sohan, it all comes down to the shot, right? Like, do you believe that this guy that has shot 55 to 62% from the free throw line over the course of his career is ever going to shoot threes at a high level? He made 37 and a half percent of his catch and shoot threes this year. The shot doesn't look broken, but it's going to take time and he's going to have to develop it. Uh, I'm a big believer because I think he's such a high level defender. Like he guarded um, Armando Baycott and like RJ Davis and Caleb Love in that game against Baylor and the moment where like they put him in and allowed him to run free and put Kendall Brown on the bench is kind of when Baylor's run started happening where they had that crazy comeback. So I'm a big fan. I understand the hesitations. I think he's just, I think the upside's a little bit higher because he's so big and coming from a level where he is so tall and so versatile and is going to be able to guard big wings as well as he's able to guard point guards i would rather take a shot on that guy than take a shot on someone else right like i'd rather take a shot on him versus dyson daniels who i even love but i understand the hesitations like i I get it
0: yeah i mean guys that can't shoot that they're gonna have the ball you know It's you start thinking about some of that playoff fit stuff, which, you know, again, I think can be a little aggressive when you're talking about teams at this, you know, like, all right, can we just be better and then worry about our game seven matchup a little bit later on? Right, Uh, right. But you, you, you know, you don't want to get stuck with somebody who's like completely, you know, hey, just ignore them. You know, that's that's not always the greatest success. And no, I think it's ball handling his playmaking, though, is enough.
1: Think about the way that like the Knicks have used Obi Toppin, right? And if you're not going to use a guy properly when you take him, don't take him. Right. Like those moments we saw late in the season where Obi and they just gave him free reign. Right. And just said, OK, we'll use you as a rim runner. We'll use you as a screener. Go. I mean, he averaged like 20 and 10. And look, this is where we get into end of season bullshit. Right. But
0: but I think at least they let him like run around in a position that made more sense for him, because even watching Obi in college, you're like, it's dominating. It's awesome. It's a lower level. He's a little bit older. He's physically so much more advanced than these other guys. You're not going to be running post plays for Obi Toppin in the NBA.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And at the end of the day, what is Obi Toppin's value around the league now? Like if they traded him, I don't know what they would get back for him. Certainly not a top 12 pick in this draft where they took him at eight, if I remember correctly. So if you're going to draft the guy, you need to use him properly. And with Jeremy Sohan, you need to use him as like occasional ball handler. Let him grab and go. Have him be the screen setter. Short roll him because he can pass a little bit. Be creative with him. Don't stick him in the corner and just have him do nothing.
0: Okay, let's get to your Aussies here. Um, You are, which city are you in?
1: I'm in Melbourne.
0: Okay. All right
1: i'm I'm like I'm like an hour and a half away or two hours away from where Dyson Daniels grew up,
0: so Dyson Daniels measures in at six seven and a half, a wingspan of six ten and a half. He's worked out for all the teams from number four to eleven in the lottery. I think he's the best of the g league players um mm-hmm. and I don't know that there's any debate about it. It felt like it was a debate a few months ago i i I think everybody kind of seems to be on the same page here for Dyson because of his defense because initiating the ball at that size yes the shot takes a week to get off of his shoulder uh that needs that needs some improvement there but what is it with this australian class like because i want to talk jang immediately after this and i'm not even afraid to say i like hugo a little bit as a (laughs) second rounder which i know (laughs) leaves me on a very i said i liked him to somebody at the combine and they're like wait did you just were you the guy that tweeted the hugo picture i was like yeah you know a little, a little <laughs> juice to him they're like what the fuck's wrong with you go ahead
1: uh yeah i love dyson i am an enormous fan because he's switchable he's tough like you, you know what he reminds me of i've been saying this on a couple of podcasts like it reminds me almost of like a villanova guard like he plays off at two feet he's steady like he makes the right decision every time he's super switchable These guys just work in the NBA. These guys that can diagnose the game. He's the best outlet passer in the class. He's so big that he's going to be an uh, impact player on the glass. And then, like, he immediately looks up in the same way that, like, Lonzo Ball looks up and is just throwing, like, darts 50 feet in front of him and just hitting a guy right in stride. He profiles to me as the exact kind of guy who impacts winning basketball at a really, really high level as long as the shot comes along. And I don't think the release is broken. I think it's more of like a shot prep issue where he struggles to get rhythm throughout his lower half. And then, you know, it ends up being super mechanical and stiff, but you know, if you don't project the shot, you should have him at like 11. I I think that he's going to get to like a 35% clip. So I like him a little bit more. I like Josh a little bit more. Uh, I like giddy a little bit more than Dyson. I will say that. Cause I think he's just more, has more juice to him off the bounce than what Dyson does. But I think Dyson's a special, uh, connector piece that's going to help you win games
0: the giddy vision thing doesn't come around very often so that that would be the tiebreaker for me with him Uh, there's just some shit that kid sees that you just you're like i can't believe he saw it but i don't know that he was driving past guys when i watch him in australia and he didn't make any shots and we've had a weird stretch of some some ball dominant players come along you know, LaMelo's is a good example of this immediately became a better shooter in the NBA. And Anthony Edwards took like nine threes a game at Georgia. I don't even think he was north of 30%. And a lot of it was shot selection too. I mean, there's certain guys that just straight up, you look at the number and go, wait, that number is going to be better because this guy's taking a ton of bad shots that he's never right. going to be allowed to take in the NBA. And because he's going to have better teammates. All right. So Usman Jang, enormous late growth spurt, actually kind of really impressive at that size to get your pick and roll going. Um, I also thought there was just a lot of stuff that he does that's really, really smart. And I know he what had an injury in the middle of the season. And I talked to somebody about it. They said it was kind of like this thing that reset him, and he was a completely different player and a lot better. So when I talked yeah. to other teams about him, they're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" And I'm like, "I don't, I don't know. I guess something's wrong with me then, because I seem to like him as he closed the year out."
1: So, so when you say you like him, like, would you take him like in the back half of the lottery kind of deal? I would.
0: I would have no problem. Like, I really like him. And I, I think he's yeah. kind of a back end of the 10. I think he's before 10, but I, I've heard he has a promise. Uh, but I, I don't think it's in the top 10.
1: Yeah, I've heard similarly. Uh,
0: I, where so I've heard he's him, promised, I don't know that he's going to be there is my point.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've uh, So I, I think that the thing that worries me with Usman Jang is he doesn't effectively use his size to put pressure on the rim. And a lot of it is him. He's not like a super athlete. Like he's very, I don't want to say slow twitch, but there isn't a lot of like juice, like going forward. But you know what he does
0: do? He gets really compact for a guy that size when he's dribbling in traffic, though. Like when he comes, when he comes off of something, he gets, he gets a lot smaller, which, which I look at is like, You know, some of these guys are really big and they can handle, but it's like, okay, but that's the amazing thing. Again, not to compare anyone to Durant. But they can't
1: get leverage on their guy. Right,
0: right, right. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like he can get leverage. His thing is that I think that he often sits in that like mid-range area and tries to throw up those like little weird floaters. And then, you know, doesn't always try and get to the rim. And then when he tries to get to the rim... He fades away from contact, doesn't really like that part of it. That's what worries me about him. I have a more like in the like 14 to 17 range just because A, up until that back half of the season, he's never really shot the ball at a high level in a way that kind of concerns me. And B, I don't think he's just like a crazy athlete that's going to be a great on the ball. It's almost like Nick Batum over the last few years with the Clippers to me. Like I got, and occasionally-
0: paid. I got paid Nick Batum
1: you no, not Charlotte paid you're talking yeah, Clippers, like Batum. Clippers oh wow yeah wow. where well, he's well. been like pretty effective though like Nick Batum's been super good Yeah, as, way like, better than player. I thought he was gonna yeah. be but that's
0: not exactly what you're taking you're not hoping you're getting Clippers Nick Batum in the lottery if you're taking a kid this big from Australia
1: so right and uh, like he's probably a little bit more athletic than that version of Nick Batum now but Jesus, he's not I Nick Batum so. when he was <laughs> He's not Nick Batum when he was younger, though. Like Nick was a crazy athlete who, like, wasn't his nickname like Air Batum or something like that because he was like a crazy dunker coming out of France. So, I, I I look at it like a combo between early career Nick Batum and late career Nick Batum, and that guy's a good role player to me. Like, I, I would happily take him in the top twenty. I'm just like a little bit hesitant to take him at eight, nine, so, ten.
0: So, do you think, Jank, that some of the shot making is fluky then? Because I would say some of the shots that he hit in that second half are like are really impressive.
1: Super, but like it's just never happened consistently right like we we have this great 12 game sample and it's possible that he took a leap in that time but we have also a lot of tape from him playing with like victor Wembenyama in france and we have a lot of tape of him you know playing elsewhere and like the u19s and you know european competitions like he just hasn't ever consistently made that shot either like step backs from three and all that stuff
0: no and smart to point out too that he actually is from france he just played uh australia this year okay so well wait he was new zealand right
1: Yeah, uh, he's with the breakers yeah
0: yeah okay who do we need to touch on here then um it's kind of this back half of the lottery thing is it aj uh is it Duran? you know like go ahead take take me and kind of because i think the aj one is really frustrating because everybody's giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's made all yeah. the shots he was in a really tough position as a ball dominant player uh I, I'm If he were healthy, I would like him way more if he'd had a better yeah, track record of health. Uh, I would I would have talked about him 20 minutes ago. So I like him, and I think he was in a really tough spot and did the best with it. I think his in-and-out stuff with his handle, like there's moments you're like, man, he is really good with the ball, dude, and he didn't yep. get to do it a lot because of the other guys. So uh, I wouldn't blame a team for starting to take him around this time because if you hit it right, you might make everybody in front of you regret it, but I also understand why you'd be scared uh, depending on what the medicals are that the teams have now.
1: Yeah, like it's it's a philosophical thing to me. Like AJ Griffin, if you just truly value shot making and the ability to potentially be like a number two option on an NBA team, AJ Griffin probably has more upside to do that than anyone else if the athleticism comes back in any real way, shape, or form. Uh I, I just don't know that I buy it. Like he's just so stiff and so like he he was so bad defensively this year. I, I don't think people have like totally recognized that. Like he was one of the worst defenders I evaluated in the first, like among guys that I have a first-round grade on. And if the athleticism doesn't come back, like the name I've brought up is like, is he just like better Aaron Naismith, kind of? And: Well, Naismith was a landscaper like a- he was
0: a landscaper growing up, which I think is kind of breaks the tie. <laughs> uh, I, did oh not, I did not God. realize he it. was that bad defensively
1: he's really bad. He's really like gets lost. He plays so like square and stiff with his hips that he gets clipped on every screen and then when he gets clipped, like it's just hard for him to turn and recover kind of. Uh, and then off the ball, like they, they started essentially like using him just to face guard these like off ball, sc- like you know, guys who are running off screens and trying to uh, move and or spot up like Buddy Bayheim for instance, right? They were just like literally stay attached to this person Do not do anything else. And
0: (laughs) don't try to switch, (laughs) which is kind of crazy though, because I would say that when he's driving, when he has the ball, it's amazing how much better guys move when they have the basketball. But I know, right? There's there's stuff that you like about his movement when he actually has the ball. Like, I, I I, so that's, I don't know. Go to yoga. It's weird. It's
1: weird. I like, I like the idea of him as a shot maker. I'm more with you. I have him, you know, later lottery. Uh, I can't quite get there but if you really like the shot making i get it you know have them five or six on your board i've talked to a couple of really smart evaluators that have them there i just don't quite get that
0: i feel like we should probably mention durin here just because this is the neighborhood he's living in and i at first was like no way and the more i watched him i'm like okay i i I still kind of get it but it might just be a league wide part of this thing where uh There's some of these bigs that I'd like. And then I go, wait, wait, (laughs) like this isn't really we don't care about these guys anymore. Remember, (laughs) and it's unfair to them. And you almost feel like if your team drafting somebody like this in the lottery. So I've come around on who he is. He's got, you know, he's got some nastiness in him, too, which is always something I enjoy with someone. But uh, I feel like you already are drafting somebody you feel like is kind of limited.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I see him as like offensively very similar to like DeAndre Jordan. Like he's an incredible lob catcher. Like he'll like be full speed downhill out of ball screens, full speed downhill in transition. And someone will throw a pass like behind his head and he'll catch it one handed and then all in one fell swoop, just like throw it down. And you're just like, oh, like that will work at the next level once he has better point guard play because Memphis that's the other part of this like Memphis just had absolutely nobody to get him the ball like they their point guard situation was a total nightmare this year I think he would have looked better if he would have played with like a real point guard that makes sense
0: a couple more things before we're done Um, I think this is a good one looking at the mocks depending on which ones you've looked at obviously you look at your own here quite a bit but I see Ty Ty Washington Kentucky kind of in well, I don't know. I don't know if I looked at your most recent one. Uh, I've seen him in the mix of like the Kennedy Chandler conversation out of Tennessee. Uh, I don't know how close uh-huh. you have those two, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, unfortunately. Not
1: particularly, but yeah.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Well, look, I've seen Kennedy Chandler first. I've seen him. I always see Ty Ty Washington in the first round. I've seen Chandler somewhere, you know, second. With Ty Ty, it's the injury. It's also that Wheeler, you know, your five nine point guard who transfers in from Georgia who can't make any shots it was bad. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about the Auburn guards with, with Jabari. Uh, well, you have and I have in the past separately from this, yeah. but the tie tie <laughs> part of it, it, like it was so bad at the end. But I don't know. I don't know what's. I don't know if it's the injury. I don't know if it's Wheeler. Where when I look at at Chandler, who again undersized, seems to do everything right. And we're talking kind of different positions here, by the way, too. And uh, there's another guy I want to throw in here too. So kind of give me give me why you have the gap between the two and. And what you do with Tai Tai because it's kind of all over the place.
1: Yeah, with Tai Tai, I I don't want to throw away this season because it is an important part of the tape and it's an important part of the sample. But that Kentucky situation, even beyond Severe Wheeler, where Severe was just dribbling the air out of the ball and Tai Tai had to play off the ball. Oscar Shibway is not a shooter. Like teams don't guard him outside of eight feet. Uh, Keon Brooks, Jacob Toppin, non-shooters. So he's always playing three out of the four guys on the court, purely non-shooters. Kellen Grady's a great shooter. Davion Mintz Mintz is a great shooter. Like, okay, that's fine. That's one guy that's on the court uh, with Ty Ty, maybe two. I think he had zero room to operate this year, which is why he ended up having to pull up in the mid-range as often as he did. He made his floaters, I think, at a 57% clip, which is insane. He made his... Uh, pull-up jumpers between 8 and 16 feet at a 59% clip, which is insane. Uh, I think he can shoot well from three. I think his processing speed and his passing ability, you watch those games where Sevier Wheeler was out. I mean, he really shined in those games as a distributor. The the role for me that makes sense for TyTy is you put him next to like a Jimmy Butler. You put him next to like a big wing creator who can put pressure on the rim more consistently than he can who can attack defenses, warp the defense, bend them, and then throw it out on the other side to Ty Ty, who's like playing a nominal point guard that might not be leading the offense. And you let him make decisions off of that, shoot off of that, play off of that. With Kennedy, I think he's an on-ball guy. And it's just, it's so fucking hard to be six foot tall in the NBA now. Like, it's almost impossible, it feels like, right? And I know the the thing
0: that's so frustrating because I think he does everything right, you know. I know a college point guard. You go okay. Like I I was going to make an example of this. If if you're a team and you go, we're taking Jaden Hardy, uh, who was Dyson's teammate, and he was just a really bad decision maker. Shot it every time he had the basketball. Shot it early in the shot clock. Awful looks. Yeah. You know, a kid that going back to the Vegas years in high school, you know, put up a million points, was clear as just doing whatever he wanted, has almost no understanding of what you're supposed to be doing out there versus Kennedy, who has every piece of understanding you'd ever want. And the game is that you probably take Jaden. <laughs> you know, you just would. You go, I'll take him. And I know Kennedy was 60% from free throw this year it was a huge story, huge problem for him. High school stats are still not where it's 2022. We're still having a hard time with this stuff. Kennedy had said yeah, he was 90%. From free throws, uh, from the free throw line in high school, I, you know, I, I tend to believe it had to be somewhat close if the kid was going to say he was ninety percent in high school. But he's just physically not, you know, the tie tie thing. His stock has taken a huge hit. He was what, preseason top ten. He's thought to be a top yeah. ten pick with this, and yeah. it's really bad to watch. But I don't think it's always fair to him. Even though when I watch it, I'm like, man, I really don't like watching this right now, and I think it's completely yeah. unfair to the prospect.
1: I feel uh, horrible for Kennedy Chandler. I do. Because he is an all defense guy who we're all just assuming like isn't going to be able to defend. Like he does literally everything right. There's nothing that that dude does wrong on the court. And I have him at like 35 because I just don't believe that he has a chance to defend at the NBA level because he's so small and so skinny.
0: Yeah. And God, I, I fucking love him. I do. I feel like I do too. I feel horrible about it. Yeah, some people. I mean, again, you know, it's mock draft season, we have got twenty of these to look at. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot that still have Kennedy as a, as, but we're you know maybe that's a little leftover. Some of the guys are still looking at the five star recruiting ranking and go, okay, well, hell, he's one and done. He was a five star, so I have to put him in the top thirty. Okay, uh, last one. Give me the second rounder that you're in love
1: with. Second rounder that I am in love with. That is a great call. Uh, are we going to count Christian Brown as a second rounder? I think that's pushing it a <laughs> like little. Borderline, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, but you know
0: what? I, I don't, I've don't. i seen him in the first round, but he played in the combine, so that should put him in as a second rounder. <laughs> uh, I, I, thought <laughs> in person. I love him, though. By the way, watched, I love him. watching him in person, he's you know we knew he was an athletic player. I mean, his team, it's not like yeah, people yeah, are yeah. watching Kansas, but I like physically how he looked out there in the combine. I don't know if oh, agree you agree with me.
1: Yeah, you see all, you see him at the final four. I was at the final four, right? Like you watch I was not Christian there. Brown play Villanova and then you watch AJ Griffin play uh North Carolina and you're like, "Oh, Christian Brown is way more athletic than AJ Griffin." Like just the way that they functionally move on the court and I feel like that is something that you know no nobody really would think to believe or would believe unless you actually watch them uh for reasons that uh are skin tone related probably because Christian Brown doesn't get the like, you know, credit for being as athletic
0: as he is. Yeah, this is a little dangerous (laughs) territory here, so we may not even keep it in.
1: I'm kidding. I'm messing Uh, with you,
0: Sam.
1: No, I know. Uh, I like Christian Brown a lot. I like the fact that he is so, so good as a shooter, as a transition player. He's an athlete. What he's great at though, he is phenomenal as a closeout defender. He's always on balance. He's big enough to defend those guys. It's so important to be able to scramble in today's NBA, right? And he is weirdly very good at scrambling on defense. Like, I I don't understand why, but he is.
0: Yeah. Again, it's kind of back to that theme of do you care? But that's where the combine is valuable. It's a very hard game. It's weird. It's tough on everybody. You're trying to not be selfish while also being incredibly selfish to stand out. And for some players, for me, it's just as simple as how does he look against these other guys that are also here? And sometimes you're like, oh, my God. Like this guy's actually incredibly young. Like I don't, I don't know. Did you like Timmy in the combine? I thought Timmy only confirmed why he went back to college because I went. Yeah. Oh man! Like he would try to post against. And granted, he was working dudes and from Pepperdine and Loyola Marymount <laughs> uh, with these post moves. I think he had that game against Texas where he kept doing the too small thing, and finally they were like, "Stop yeah. doing this all the time." All right, I'll <laughs> go with I'll go with my guy. I actually did see this player. Yeah,
1: I want to hear this. Yeah. I
0: did see this player. I and I'm coming off a real high of him right now. I just binged him for about two straight days, and uh I saw it's him. Hugo. In, it isn't Hugo. It isn't Hugo. <laughs> although very similar, very similar, sort of. It's uh, Gabriel Pochita.
1: Oh, this, I love it! Yes, <laughs> yes. Lake, Lake Como,
0: and then he was for a re, he was playing for a relegated Italian team, so they let him go to. Was it Bologna? I forget. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm telling you, dude. <laughs> he just turned I, 20 I, this yeah. month. I I couldn't believe I saw him on a mock recently where he was in the first round. I'm like, no, no. I think I saw him 50 second um, on ESPN's today. I think Javoni had him 50 second. And yeah. I look, just I hope <laughs> I hope one day he gets to play in the NBA because. There's a lot going on there, and it's all kind of fun.
1: <laughs> it's all fun. That's the good word right, for it. Yeah, Right. Uh, I have him at 32. Yes. I love him. I'm all in. Like, he's eight. He's a real athlete. Again, he's like He's a live sick athlete. athlete. Sick yeah. athlete. And
0: he's got, like, attitude to him. He already – although this annoys the shit out of me. He's selling every three-point jumper. Like, every one he's falling <laughs> down. So, although Shingun was my – he was my all-team – all first team complainer in last year's class, and I love Shingun's game, but yeah. he he like you think you have him figured out, and then all of a sudden he just dunks on everybody, and then he'll like crash, he'll he'll come from the corner, baseline, run behind the guy that's not no one pays attention to anybody who's behind him in the corner, away from the ball, and he just yams on like three dudes. Then he tried to throw an around the back pass. I tweeted out the video today. <laughs> He's got this guy who looks like he may have been a bank security guard, number 99, <laughs> playing center for him. And he went over to him to get pissed at him for going around the back and the pass went out of bounds. And then I noticed he does it to him all the time because he's thinking, oh, it's this 19-year-old. I'm going to get out of his case. It's like, no, he's yeah. better than all of you guys already. <laughs> I know. And stop. Don't. Like, he's an artist. Don't, <laughs> Don't get in the way of his art.
1: Oh, my God. I love him. I absolutely love him for all the reasons you just said. He's also like sneaky, not terrible defensively. Like he really gives a damn. No, like, his
0: anticipation—like when he sees the ball being swung, yeah. he gets in his deflections, and then he's gone. I mean, he catches lobs where yeah, I was like, "Wait, yeah. am I watching Dern again?" I'm like, "Oh no, it's still Pachita." So I don't
1: no, know. No, it's it's like uh, it's like a Mario Hazonia starter kit, kind of. No, and don't someone do that, took Mario. Took Mario at five or whatever. You know, if we're taking Procida, you know, perchita 32 or 27, we're all good. Like, this is fine.
0: <laughs> all right. I see. I knew. I knew it. We we agreed a lot today, but I'm I'm very happy we agreed. That would have been weird well, for well, me if here. you were like, he's terrible. What are you talking about?
1: No, I'm all <laughs> in. I think Hugo Basson's not very good, but i Yeah, do yeah. Love no, I'm <laughs> I'm
0: aware. I'm aware that everybody thinks he sucks. I'm gonna actually stop saying I kind of sneaky like him. Uh, but, you know, again, I don't even maybe, hate
1: him. Like He's, he's going to be really good in the Euro League. Like, I'm all for it.
0: Uh, who says I'm not a huge Euro League fan? That's what I meant. <laughs> all right. Uh, again, you can check out Sam uh, with Matt Penny a couple days a week, and they'll be gearing up for the draft here. It's a really good. Game Theory podcast from The Athletic. Uh, thanks as always for your time.
1: Yeah, of course, Ryan. This
0: episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. I want to do something a little different here a week away from the draft. Uh, his name is Chris Ebersole. He's the NBA Associate Vice President of International Basketball Operations, head of Elite Basketball. Also, if you've read anything about Basketball Without Borders and how that has grown, the international game, and the number of players that are on NBA rosters, your favorite players. Uh, and, and Chris joins us now. Morning, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Morning,
2: Ryan. Thanks for for having me on and grateful for the opportunity.
0: So let's talk about your background first. Um, So you went to France in high school. I, I, was this was it was it your parents trying to rediscover something here, or was it was it a program? Yeah, I mean, you end up in France, which kind of is a weird thing of planting the seed of the international basketball. You were good enough to walk on at Stanford when you went there, so obviously you have the good resume. But take us kind of through those early years of of you not probably even realizing the foundation being laid for what would be your career later on. Yeah, absolutely. I you
2: know I, I was a huge fan of sport, all sports growing up, and basketball and. Played everything, you know. as an okay basketball player and played, you know, JV basketball as a, as a freshman in high school. And then um, that was when my my parents decided to to move us uh, to France. Um, long story there, but we, we attended a bilingual school, my siblings and I, and and um, my my parents, especially my mom, spent. She she grew up overseas most of her childhood, and just um, viewed that as a really important experience to have. And so we went to France, immersed ourselves there, went to French public school. Um, You know, our sort of community was our, we were in a small town and we had a local basketball club. And that's where everyone sort of congregated from, you know, small children all the way up to to adults and um, and everyone played there. And so that was really my first international basketball experience. And it was, um, you're right, it definitely helped plant a seed in my head, I think, with just how the game can bring bring people together and different generations and people from different walks of life, um, and so so that was that you know that that was a, at the time you know I wasn't thrilled about moving overseas in the middle of high school as you can imagine, but um, looking back on it, it was it was really important experience in, in my life and probably a, a, has a lot to do with why I'm here. And and then you know fast forward as you mentioned, um, go to college at Stanford, I was, was able to to walk on there, um, which was which another amazing experience. And, um, and then now have been able to marry sort of, um, the basketball side with, with some of the international bass background I have. And so, um, it's been, it's been pretty cool. And now I get a chance to do what I love in, in a really rewarding position and with an awesome team. So definitely blessed.
0: So you went to finance though, right? After
2: Stanford. And That's right. Was, yeah. Was
0: the whole, were you miserable? Just thinking about <laughs> basketball the whole time.
2: <laughs> uh, I wasn't miserable. I, I worked in investment consulting. Um, I actually enjoyed it a fair amount and and learned a ton. And um, I at the time was also volunteer coaching uh, high school girls basketball. And during those those couple of years, really realized that that's where sort of my true passion lay. And um, realized that while I was at work, I was thinking about um, you know. Practice that evening, or or what we were going to do the next morning for individual workouts or things like that. And so, I, I sort of through that process just realized that I wanted to get back to sports, back to basketball in particular. Um, and I was just really fortunate that um, I got connected with somebody at the NBA. Um, you know, Stu Jackson, Kim Bahuni, Brooks Meek. Um, these were people in, in the international basketball operations world, and they took a chance on me. Um, you know, almost ten years ago now, and and you know. Ten years later, I'm I'm here doing what I love, and you know it's really special. So the game has like we knew the international part of it. I was
0: looking at the numbers. You had a hundred over a hundred international players on opening night rosters. Uh, that's almost a quarter of the league. It was forty five players twenty years ago. Why is it going in this direction? Where I mean, could we have half the NBA be international
2: players in in another twenty years? It's definitely possible. I mean, the if you look at the growth. As you mentioned, 45 players 20 years ago. It's almost triple that now. We're around 120, um, and we've been over 100 for the last eight years. And so, um, th- that growth is is ongoing. It's it's. I don't think it's peaked. Um, you you look at some of the sort of emerging basketball markets, and we're still sort sort of just scratching the surface. But um, you know, if you look at the history of it, I mean, basketball really you know. I think it came onto the international stage you know, very early on. I think it became an Olympic sport back in the 30s, which was a huge moment for the sport. But really the tipping point was in the early 90s when you look back to the dream team and the Barcelona Olympics and um, introducing sort of the game to, to so many new fans and not just the game, but the stars around the game. And um, I think that was when the switch flipped. And a fun sort of anecdote about that era was, um, I'm, I'm sure you, you and your listeners all know who Arturis Karnaschovas is, um, you know, current, you know, president of basketball ops for the bulls, you know, at the time he, he, he was a player for the Lithuanian national team. And there's a video clip out there of, of Lithuania playing against the U S and Arturis taking photos. I believe it's on like one of those disposable wind up cameras, <laughs> um, taking photos of the guys on, you know, in, in the dream team. And funny enough, Arturis ended up actually working, um, in the same department that that I currently work at, before he he made the transition to the team side, so that was truly the tipping point moment. I think that those Olympics, and then obviously with David Stern's vision and the vision of of folks like Kim Bahuni, who um, probably sort of looked at now as the mother of international NBA basketball, um, spent you know over thirty years at the NBA and probably one of the most influential people in the sport that probably most fans haven't um, that haven't heard of. Um, the vision of those people—they really invested in growing it from this first batch of stars in the '90s, you know, Hakim, and then later Dirk and Yao, growing it from that from that um, era where it was around 40 NBA players to now being at 120, and just seeing the depth of talent internationally now with 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 over 100 players, and and the high end talent, right? Like, all you know, all three MVP finalists this year were international players. Um, the last four MVPs have been international with three first team all NBA guys international this year. Um, so it's not really not just the depth, but it's also the very high end um, seeing the impact that these international guys can have.
0: I've talked to teams about Africa now for a while. Uh, I remember you know, watching some of the earliest footage of of things being launched in these villages without any resources whatsoever. And then to see how that's grown, it feels like everybody that's paying attention to this and you know this as well as anyone, probably better than anybody other than your team. But Africa's the next thing. Is that is that fair to say that this we are I don't know how many years give us an idea of the timeline, but the, the pipeline of talent that is going to come in is is going to make a real impact in this league. And it's and it's coming.
2: Absolutely. You're seeing it already. And I think Masai Ujiri, who. a. Uh, a great supporter of, of all of our programs. And um, you know, he always says Africa is now. That's his his sort of rallying cry. And 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 I think that's right. You're already seeing um obviously the impact of players like Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, you know, players even from sort of the African diaspora, right? Like like Giannis um having as big of an impact as any player in the league. Um, but that depth is I- is happening. And the exciting part about it is i think it's still just just scratching the surface and you know we we launched basketball without borders as a program in 2001 and i can speak a little bit about the, the beginning of it but it expanded quickly it started in europe and expanded quickly to africa in 2003 and just in the last you know fewer than 20 years to see um the growth from Uh, when I joined in 2013 and where the game was, where the infrastructure was on the continent um, to now where we have a full time NBA Academy in Africa with, you know, the top 24 players from all over the continent, 54 countries um, on the continent. And there's just so much uh, potential there um, to see um, the number of players drafted out of basketball, that borders now players coming out of the NBA academies to the college ranks, um, and now finally, you know, in recent years, a professional league, right? We have the, the basketball Africa league as sort of the tip of that, of that pyramid. So players growing up in Africa, you know, the, the solution used to be, if you were a great player in Africa or had potential, you were six, 10 and, and had some potential was to get off the continent as quickly as possible and get to the States or get to Europe. Now, um, there are resources on the continent and you, you can come up through an academy, um, you know to the BAL you have um these these players to look up to in your home markets and i think that's really critical really important and it's a sign that things are going to continue in the direction they're going
0: do you have a story from when like the first time you saw somebody that's a star now and that maybe because of your international expertise like you and you, got, you saw him before anybody else did, and you were like, who is this guy? Like uncharted territory for a player that now is somebody everybody knows.
2: For sure, yeah. And and I'll start first by just giving a little bit of context around where we usually see these players. The, the Basketball Without Borders camps it, um, are really our flagship basketball development camps. And those build on top of our... We have an entire sort of ecosystem of basketball that we get involved in from junior NBA, which is sort of the base of our pyramid, which reaches... I think we're going to reach 60 million kids um, at that level, you know, getting young kids bouncing a ball all the way up this pyramid. And at the top are Basketball Without Borders camps and our NBA academies. And as I mentioned, Basketball Without Borders, that started back in 2001, first as just a way to bring different communities, different countries together. It actually, the first edition was Vladi Divac from Serbia, Tony Kukoc from Croatia, and a bunch of their former Yugoslavian national team teammates bringing together 50 high school age players from their countries um, shortly after sort of those countries had all been at war and bringing them together. And that's really the, the, where the program started. Um, Since then, it's really blossomed and grown into really an elite basketball event and really the premier international basketball camp in the world. And, through those experiences. My first year was 2013. I've had a number of those um, those stories that you mentioned where you see a player and your eyes pop because you know, wow, this. if you get this player into the right environment, um, the sky's the limit. And um, the other part of it that's interesting is in 2015, we added the Basketball Without Borders Global Camp. So we do normally four uh, regional camps every summer, Africa, mm-hmm. Asia, Americas, and Europe. We added the global camp at All-Star Weekend to bring the best of the best together. And the first edition of that was in 2015 at All-Star Weekend in New York. And the last two invites to that camp um, were Jamal Murray and Lowry Markkinen. Um Under the radar, guys that you know, no one had really was really following at the time as potential draft picks um, or anything like that. Um, both of them sort of had their coming out parties at that camp and um, played at the highest level and le- leapfrogged over a bunch of prospects who were ranked ahead of them. Um, and, and then shortly thereafter, were being recruited by, you know, the best college basketball programs in the country. And, uh, you know, just a year after that, we're one and done players in the league. And um, there's countless examples of those types of stories. And I think what makes all of it, uh, you know, especially rewarding is that those guys then come back. So a couple of years later, Jamal Murray was in the Rising Stars game. I think he had a million threes that game in New Orleans. And the next morning, he was coaching at a basketball without borders global camp. Um, Lowry has come back to camps. All these guys come back and give back their time. And that's really what makes um, those basketball without borders camps so, so rewarding. We spent a lot of time
0: talking about Matherin as a lottery pick. He's likely going to go top ten. And I remember, as I I was talking with Bill about it on Sunday, I go, the first time I watched him play, I just made, I was like, okay, he's this kid's from like a tough inner city. I didn't know enough about him, and then it was like, no, he's actually from Montreal. But if you know his full story, uh, it's an incredible story, and he's he's had a lot of challenges, but he plays like a guy who's been through a lot of challenges. He's got an edge to him in these games, and I know that your Program he's he's been involved in it. Can you give us a little bit more backstory on Matherin? because it's obviously a different route the,
2: than a lot of other players. Absolutely, yeah. And, and and Ben not only participated in our Basketball Without Borders camps, but he also participated in our NBA Academy program, which is a newer program that, that started in, in 2016. Um, so not as long of a track record as as Basketball Without Borders, which has almost 100 alumni in the in the league now or who have made it to the NBA. Um, NBA academies are newer. And when Ben joined, um, it was a brand new program. So he took a leap of faith, a kid from Montreal, another under the radar prospect. He was around 15 years old at the time, um, took a leap of faith with us and joined a startup program essentially, um, in Mexico. Um, so moved from from Montreal to, to Mexico, um, obviously didn't speak any Spanish, didn't know any of the teammates he was joining, didn't, you know, just, just had met our staff and the coaches down there, um, and, and took this leap. And as you mentioned, his, his background, you know, Ben, um, you know, went through some adversity, you know, at at a young age, he, he lost his older brother who was his best friend, um, you know, died in a tragically in a bike accident. I, I believe Ben was 12 years old when that happened. And the, the thing that makes Ben so impressive is how he, Came back from that, and how he rebounded from that, and um, as a result of that, you know, he he had his guard, he had a, definitely had a guard up, and 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 took him a while, I think, to develop maybe a trust with our coaches and our teammates. Um, but once he did that, there's nobody you'd rather have next to you <laughs> in, in a foxhole than than that guy. Um, his mental toughness, um, his fearlessness, and his motivation to succeed are really unmatched uh among any of the p- players i've seen at basketball borders camps nba academies um and so i think so highly of the of, of the person ben matherin i know he's an amazing player when he joined us he was a he was a power undersized power forward couldn't shoot um you know a few years later he's you know one of the best three-point shooters in the country at arizona um, just speaks to the work ethic he has as well and his willingness to put in put in the time um, and, and just so proud of him and honestly grateful to him for what he's given to the program. He was the first Canadian to join the NBA Academy program. And now since there have been uh, a number of them, many most of them from Montreal, actually, because they all look up to Ben who have followed in his footsteps. Uh, Omax Prosper, who's at Marquette now and uh, Trey Minote, who's at South Carolina. All these guys look up to Ben and, and um, for good reason. He, he absolutely, as a player, as a person, You know he deserves all the credit that he's getting now
0: i remember i don't know almost 20 years ago i used to go to portsmouth i was i was driving with the front office over to get lunch somewhere and we they were i didn't have anything to offer conversationally i just started and i was just listening to these guys i was fascinated about everything and and one guy who's an assistant gm was just like i don't know what's going on with our diets we're not making big enough humans here in america we're just not making them big enough and and it's funny because it's such a it's such a simple thing simple observation And before anybody says, like, hey, there's a tall guy on this team, I get it. I I didn't say there were zero tall people in America. I'm just saying that there's a belief, and this has been going on for a long time, that, like, the body types seem to be different from different pockets, which I don't know if it puts the American player at a disadvantage. I also wonder, too, like, when I watch what Luca was doing as a teenager, I go, he's more... He is more primed for success because he's being asked to do so much more. So we can talk about slowly developing people so you don't ruin their confidence, but at the same time, I would rather just, hey, dive in head first and see if you have it. Um, we're not there yet, but is it perhaps a little concerning thinking about what percentage of makeup of this league will be American? Like, Is, is the United States doing a bad job with its development programs in comparison to these other countries all over the world,
2: I don't think it's necessarily a concern. I think for us we we actually joke sometimes whenever we have a an opening night and we have a new record for you know share of the league that's international. we kind of joke it's also a a record low u s <laughs> players but um I think it's important to remember it's still three quarters of the league is American and um you know, we bring NBA Academy teams to the U.S. constantly to to have them compete because the U.S. is still the best of the best. It's still where you're going to find the best competition, and um, I think there's also a recognition that as the game globalizes, that really benefits everyone. The the growth of the international share as far as players also means that our games are broadcast in 215 countries around the world and for what that does um, for the business um, the experiences of the players being able to play with teammates and coaches I think one of the underrated storylines now is how many international coaches there are in the NBA and the, and that NBA teams are seeing the value in bringing over expertise from overseas um, I think those are all positives I, I um, I don't think we're there yet. You know, maybe maybe in maybe in, in another twenty years um, we'll be at that point. But I think right now the American game is is still really strong. You can see it with the success of of national team uh, from the senior team all the way down to the junior teams. There's there's still quite a lot of talent um, in the U.S. and and it's going to be that way for a long time. We we we're we're proactively seeking out. International players to you know infuse the game with that with that global talent, but I don't think the U.S. is going away anytime soon.
0: I really appreciate the time and enjoy the draft next week. Thanks. Thanks, you too, Ryan. Appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout outfit Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, "Do I look too good?" I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class, that just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at Viori.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan.
2: You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: Life advice, uh, the email, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Quick check in, a lot of draft talk here. Steve, how are we doing? Week out
3: uh you know i think the initial high from the first pick has now turned into i'm kind of nervous because it's just How are you there's just a lot of guys go- I, I i'm still ch- i'm still team chat but i like jabari and you love paulo and everyone's talking about Jay ivy now is like i heard chris Vern say he wouldn't be surprised if he was the best player in the draft i'm just kind of nervous they're gonna fuck it up
4: and that's that's where we're at so good times
0: okay uh kyle i know you don't care right do you care about Um, anything
4: i'm real real happy uh when the drafts close because that means we're almost done with this we can start working out back east plans try to put together some parties get togethers gatherings all that stuff so yeah real really happy when this time of year comes around so i'm just as excited as you guys
0: all right poughkeepsie about to take it on the chin hard multiple weeks mid july
4: early (laughs) august come through (laughs) I'm buying a one-way ticket. I'll tell you that. I'm, gonna, I'm obviously going to buy another one-way, but I was like, should I do the round trip? I was like, I don't want to be tied down by that. One-way ticket for me. I love it.
0: I'm a huge one-way ticket guy. Mm-hmm. We'll huge figure it out. Figure it out we, it in the we, the we discussed that the other day on the pod. All right, so uh, let's do something we've never done before. A guy wants to meet a girl. Here we go, 29 years old, 5'8", 185, reps 225 three to five times. I like how you did that. Some days you're just not feeling it. Some days you are. I have them all the time. Where to stay? Twenty-four. Oh, wait, wait, wait. His neighbor's twenty-four years old. We don't have her bench numbers. Not relevant. Don't worry about it. Military brat. Uh, great taste in film and music. Classic rock only. Very mindful. Makes incredible Italian food. mates art. It's sick, sick art. Has a cool dog. Smokes weed. Kyle, <laughs> <laughs> come on. <laughs> a bit of a flake. Hey, who isn't? Overall, I describe her as a kind of free spirit, clean cut, but edgy and total schmoot show. Also worth noting, she has a lot of friends that are dudes. One of them is her best friend. I sound jealous, but I'm not deleting it. I moved to my apartment a little less than a year ago, and I share a yard with a neighbor that I mentioned above. I'm falling for her hard, but I don't want to make a move and mess everything up. Things progressed slowly at first, but over the last month and a half, it's really started to escalate. We hang out nearly every day in the yard after work and not keeping score or anything, but she's usually the one to initiate it. We usually just sit in the yard, have a beer or a joint, and talk for a couple hours. You guys just, you guys just burned down a Jay out
4: back. Hours? <laughs> we talking for hours?
0: Yeah, oh. we've we've started making the yard nicer, and it's been a pretty cool thing that we've done together. Cleaned a grill, that it sat closed for a couple of years. Do the restoring stuff. Started a vegetable garden. Doomsday prep. Uh, exterminated a dozen wasp nests. Twelve wasp nests. That's bonding. That's real bonding right there. Bumble brag. Uh, installed oh, a Mister for hot what? Oh, a Mister for hot summer days. Maybe you guys just open a fucking design business together. A B&B. Forget having sex. Um. Uh, all right. So they got a Mister going. They're gonna throw a fourth party. Seems like she's given me some <laughs> subtle signs that she wants me to make a move. A lot of background. We love this. We love this. We're full of details here. Big prep show. Always been about prep. One, she said she isn't sharing a, oh, she said isn't sharing a yard great practice for living with someone. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Forward. Quote, if uh, I'm really enjoying the neighbor ship we have going on. Three, the other night she came home after the bar and she could tell I was inside watching TV with a couple of buddies. The finals were on and asked the following day, what are y'all doing the other night? Did you see me in the yard? I was pretty drunk eating my Burger King, but I thought you would have come out. To which I replied, "Oh, I was watching the finals." Wait, did you say that you were drunk eating Burger King? Because that's heinous. Judgy. She's twenty. She's twenty-four. She can't have a Drunk Whopper, man. Come on,
3: Whoppers underage. What happened
0: to the? What happened to the landscaper burning down a Jay, just <laughs> being pretty chill about everything? She wants a couple chicken fries in it. A-
3: People who all judge right, other whatever. people when they eat fast food actually suck too. So don't be that guy. Like if I want Taco Bell, don't judge me for that. I like Taco Bell.
0: I agree with you. I think we should all judge each other a lot less, but some people somehow think the path to success is judging everyone. <laughs> Although it could be stretched out that, hey, Rosillo, are you aware of what you do for a living? <laughs> yep. So it's counterpoint a little bit.
3: <laughs> after after a solid hour of judging guys' basketball skills. <laughs>
0: yeah. Hey, what do you do for a living? Well, I pretty much judge people that are way better at the thing that I judge them at <laughs> than me. How's that feel? Okay, so uh, our guy said, I'm worried that I'm reading way too much in this situation. She's actually not interested in me. And I'd be risking an incredible friendship if I made a move or broached the subject. The closest I've come to testing the waters with this is the last few times we've hung out. I touched her arm after she was complaining about work. And said that sucks, but it's gonna be okay. Arm touch. Last two times, apparently. To which she responded positively, but didn't escalate or reciprocate. What do you guys (laughs) discover? Yeah, she didn't immediately touch your arm back and stare you down like an alien. (laughs) All right, all documented. Uh, Sorry, dude, you sent the email. All right. (laughs) it sounds like there's a lot of signs here. It sounds like there's a lot of things going on, but I got to tell you, you said one thing in the email that tells me to prepare yourself for this because I do think you should try. Like, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You ask her out. She says no. And now what? You guys can't work on the garden together? The coolest thing to do is when the girl says no, and then you're like, cool. And then you're even more awesome after the fact because now the seed has been planted. You never go down that road And I'm telling you again, if, you know, if you fall into a certain category of desirability by the fair sex, uh, it can come back to really help, man. you can be like, all right, I planted a little seed. You weren't interested. I don't even want to follow up again. I love our friendship. Let's plant some peppers. But when you said about, all right, dog smokes weed, um, but she has a lot of friends that are dudes. Could you just be another friend zone of the dude harem? Could that be a possibility? You know, could it be that she's just so cool because she just does want to be your friend and she's used to being friends with a million guys. That's a tad alarming. It doesn't mean anything, but if you're worried about like, you're probably not going to live here the rest of your life. And it sounds like she might be late on rent every now and then herself. So, this great little deal you got going on. What are you really big term? What are you really disrupting here? Big term by asking her out once. So I'd say it seems like you've established some things. It sounds like you touched her arm twice. She didn't reciprocate, not the end of the world. Um, I'd say, throw it out there. Maybe throw it out there after she's destroying nuggets on your front lawn and see how she reacts. And if she goes, oh, that's so cool. Like if you ask out somebody and they laugh and never give you a definitive answer, that's a no. That's a no. You kind of know where you stand. Uh, I don't think there's much more to this. I would say go for it. Maybe, maybe all these, there's a lot of signs in here that are positives too. And I don't think that the, the, the price that you would pay by her being like, no, I'm not into you is actually the end of the world. Other than this backyard. That sounds fucking awesome for the fourth.
4: Yeah. First of all, did you say dude harem? I don't think I listened to anything you said after you said dude harem. You said that, right? Yeah. Great. Great job by you. Um, Love that, and um I think, yeah, he's definitely overthinking it. I think there's a good point he also she also said something about neighborship that seemed oddly specific, even though that's what it is, but it seemed like oddly specific to call it out like that, sort of like, I love this friendship it's you know you could you can look at that one way or you could look at it as it just means nothing, and it's just a word somebody said. I'd say, what if you like i mean maybe Netflix and chill is too um obvious, but what if you like went out to a movie like the movie's a classic uh, hulu
0: and just touch arms, <laughs>
4: <laughs> or like you could go out I mean Maverick's out maybe she hasn't seen Maverick, but like you know it sounds like you're in like fold out chairs uh you know Her in Russell? the sh- in the shared yard or something you know they're not really a great great place to be able to like kind of scoot up next to each other. I feel like you're probably sitting in your own singular um sitting objects, so maybe you could get some place where you're on a couch. Um, or something like that, that'd be like a good way to figure out if that vibe could be, uh, could be a little bit better, but yeah, I I think, yeah, probably don't overthink it if it does, if it doesn't work out, like definitely be very cool about it, never bring it up again. And, um, it probably will come back in a good way. I've been in that same situation. I've been in the situation where we never address it and, uh, hopefully she never told any of my friends about it, but, um, either way, like the stakes are low, um, as long as you don't be weird if this is a rejection thing. Cause it sounds like you do have a pretty sick neighbor and you'd hate to lose that. But it sounds like you haven't been in that situation where it's actually even been close to even being able to put your arm around her. So maybe try to get in that situation and see, see how that goes.
3: But like, all right, you got a cool neighbor. Awesome. Like that. Do you want to, uh, what's cooler than that a cool girlfriend a cool wife like that the neighbor thing to me means nothing at all like as ryan said you're going to move at some point you're not going to live together forever if it doesn't work out who cares like I, this idea that you have a cool neighbor. hot right now it's just Saruti, so you, ruthless.
0: You, <laughs> he about. had to sit there through my whole monologue and then Kai, and he's like sorry go ahead go ahead no i just
3: like like i don't know like i don't i don't i have two neighbors one to my left hate the guy the other one to my right i've never even talked to them before uh, so, and, and I yeah, got a couple across the street that are cool. If the, I didn't talk to him tomorrow, it's not that big of a deal. You're, you're not losing much here. And as
0: when are you going to mister going, maybe the three of you
3: guys bah, pass, <laughs> but the people, the, the thing is too, like if she has a lot of dude friends, I don't think she's looking for like, you know, just cause you're the neighbor and you're the guy around. Like I, even being her friend might might not be that cool of a thing. So I think Kyle kind of hit the nail Jeez. on the head here. You got to take this relationship on the road. Like you got to just it's it's got to be out of the backyard. It's got to be something that doesn't involve like, you know, home improvement. It has to be like semi a date thing. And if she is push, you know, if she pushes back on that. Then I think you kind of know where you're at. Um, but also, you know, what you said earlier, Ron, is probably true, too, is like even if she re- rejects you right away, it's kind of OK, because. You can still kind of be friends, and maybe it's a little bit weird around them. But like, just live your life, and she's still going to probably want to hang out with you because she's going to see you hanging out with your friends, and you guys doing the finals. She seems like the kind of person that, like knocks on your door because she's bored, and she's just interested. So I, I even if she rejects you at first, she's probably going to come around and hang out with you anyway in the future. And then you never know. Like, just kind of be that guy that hangs around the hoop, and maybe you'll end up scoring. So I just don't, I don't see. Any whoa! Little hey,
4: hey, Clint <laughs> like Capella you go. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, see if she wants to do it when it's it's outside of the comfort of her own home like see if she was is willing to take that next step to actually go somewhere with you or just like well he's here so let's see what he's doing
0: she could also just be super high all the time and everybody's <laughs> reading it wrong like being in vermont when i went to uvm there was just so many people that were high all the time and you'd be like oh here's a little you know there's there's a gal from greenwich county with a brand new north face on that's super friendly you'd Be like no she it's two in the morning she's high. And she wants to just you know rip bong hits while guys are trying to edit their Vancouver line, so you know uh I also think that you know if as if this this is not breaking news here, and for our female listeners that like this part of it, talking to women is really hard, okay, and you could say, oh, it's actually easy, just do the no, it's like facing a different offense every fucking day and it's like one's a spread one's running some old Oklahoma shit another one's doing wishbone and then you're like wait it's two fucking quarterbacks on this high school team like what is this how do I prepare for this <laughs> so you know sometimes it's nice to be sincere and you slow play it and then if you slow play it then you could be like whoa why'd you wait around why weren't you interested and then if you immediately then it's like hey hold off it's very hard and you can have an approach you know that's why the guys that are the best at it they're like magicians Um, you also have to do some self-evaluation with all this stuff. Like, what is your track record? What does the back of your baseball card say? You know, do, does, do, do you find yourself being in a position where people are, but it sounds like there's at least enough here that it's worth attempting ruining the Mr. Plans and whatever garden action you guys have going on. It's just why Sarudi was so upset. There's not a ton of risk for just, you know, and if you're shy about this, like I would say less. All right. I would say way less. You could even maybe make it a joke. You know, it could be after a hangout. You know, 9 a.m. is not exactly the best time. You know, don't stay up all night being like, all right, I got this. And you see her in the parking lot like, hello, I would like to ask you out at some point. She's probably still gonna be high. And you're like, whoa, man, chill out. So uh I would I would just kind of, you know, I would toss it around in a very very soft approach. Maybe, you know, after night everybody hanging out, you two are still neighboring out in the yard. It sounds like you've had some one on one time. And then you just kind of be like, hey, you know, what's a crazy idea. Or maybe you could even do something stupid. It's like, I don't know, just come up with some sort of conclusion where you're getting an idea of where she wants to go. I can't help. I can't write all these down for it. I
4: think Sorry. you could say Top Gun Maverick. What are you thinking about? They're going to Top Gun Maverick Thursday. What do you think? It's a must see TV, apparently. So um, that's like <laughs> a great one. Everyone has to see that movie now, it seems like. So, I mean, she you could probably rope her into that.
3: What about... Um, like... You guys talk a lot. Can you can you ask her about her dating history or not history per se, but just like, hey, you know, what's going on? I don't in your trust life? this guy with
0: that. I don't trust this guy with that. <laughs> you I think, think he's going to fumble
3: that? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It just seems like a natural thing that will come up in conversation to be like, yeah, you know, like what's going on? Like, you know, you date anybody. I just like, isn't a weird conversation for people like you who seem to hang out all the time in your backyard. So I don't know.
0: It sounds like this guy's really good at like a lot of the stuff that she seems to enjoy. And I if you're emailing the show, then I could see that like it is hard. All right. You know, it's not, not everybody's the coolest. Uh, you never know how it's going to go. And if you're worried about the rejection part of it, just, just use that to your advantage. Now she knows how you feel. Be cool. The rest of the way, you know, some, she's 24. Some other guy's going to fuck it up. And then guess who's there. Guess who's there with a, with a planner. So ruthless like,
4: over here is because yeah. he's not taking chances.
3: I, I just, I, it's just, I'm not saying that I would be like Mr. Casanova and I would just knock this okay. out of the park, but I think this guy needs he needs this pep talk. I needs he needs some like some tough love here to be like, just just take the chance, you know? Um, because I just don't see there's that much of a downside. She seems pretty chill. She I, seems I like the kind of person totally who's gonna agree. get mad and never talk to you again.
0: I think we did 20 minutes on this. Yeah. I think we got it. <laughs> that was a fun one. Okay. We did have a, a couple fo- well, we had a lot of follow so we appreciate everybody uh reaching out, commenting on on Tuesday's life advice. Uh, but there was a couple people that kept getting to like, as I like to consider myself one of the great storytellers of our era. They were like, how do you leave out the comeback where you were a loser sitting by yourself having lunch for two years and then all of a sudden you were cool? Great question. For whatever reason, I worked at the Black Dog that summer And then the guys that were like considered the coolest people of all time that were all seniors before I'd even shown up to this high school at all graduated, were still hanging out in the vineyard. They were traveling in the winter. they come back for the summers. They were kind of doing that deal post high school. And it was like three or four guys. And they were all like the legends. And they were already out of this high school. And then they met me at the restaurant and they loved me and they would have parties and they would jokingly have me work the door and collect money. And so there'd be these summer parties in the vineyard. And then everybody in high school would be like, wait. The coolest people ever think he's cool. It's fucking right they did. And huge comeback. They don't even have an award for it. The comeback player of the year would be insulting. It's usually just a knee sprain. All right. So that's what happened.
4: I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know. People (laughs) hanging by a thread. They're like, shit, I don't know if I'll get to the weekend. (laughs)
4: Like,
0: how did he do it? Like, well, okay. All right. Stealing from your own bar. We'll do another one of these. Uh, six feet out of shape. Asking for more of a ruling on this with the life advice. We know how you feel uh, on stealing condiments and other goods from restaurants as a customer, i.e. stealing hot sauce from Chipotle. I think people are making changes. I think that podcast really enacted some real change. We're seeing these little uh, souffle cups, the plastic ones, being provided for people with lids. A little dangerous game. Totally get it. But again, like my rule is kind of this. If everybody did the thing that you want to do, how would it work out? Would it be bad? Probably be bad. So let's not do those things. Um, we, all, we can all be guilty of it sometimes. All right. All right. So I'm curious, given your experience as a bartender, what your thoughts are stealing from your own bar, taking glasses, mixing equipment or condiments home, I imagine is a no go for you. But what about taking a shot or grabbing a beer? Uh, what about not charging a customer for your own personal interest? Is there any distinction if it's a local business versus a corporation? Actually, very good question. Uh, in my opinion, this changes everything. I think it does as well. I would tell you for those, I never had to work for like the big corporation. If you're firing some blue drinks, uh, with some blue curacao, right. Some agave floaters at Chili's Fridays, like it's, you know, it's all pretty corporate. You know, you, I never had to deal with that stuff. The, the, the point of sale pads and, and swiping your card through and then running it up, you know, have everything match up and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's probably pretty hard to get away with. Um, And one of the last places I ever did bartend in Boston had a little bit more with that. So, actually, I guess I did, but I didn't have to like swipe the card through and everything. It also is the only bar I've ever worked at where they counted the tips without the other bartenders, which means I was ripped off for years. Pretty, pretty obvious what was going on there now. Um, uh, And then every time there's ever a problem with anything, it was always my fault because I wasn't a wicked hot chick working there. So, uh, I would, I guess, I guess the problem I would say it's
3: never let anything go. I,
0: <laughs> no, 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 never, never. I got the list right here. I, uh, I think it's a dicey one, right? Because I had a very unique situation in that I was right out of college. I mean, I bartended at the end of college, and then guys that were two years older than me bought a bar. So I'm twenty-one, turning twenty-two, and these guys are like twenty-three and twenty-four that bought a place. And then the other place that I worked at was owned by a guy that was south of 30 as well. And so they knew I was a good bartender. They knew I wasn't a fuck up. As far as drinking on the job, I did it twice, I think, ever. And um, one time was because we'd been up the entire night before and we had to bartend at 6 a.m. for St. Patrick's Day. I think I slept a couple hours and then rolled into bartend started started cutting limes. And the guy was like, whoa, dude. And I'm like, what? He's like, are you going to make it? I was like, ah, to 12. I'm like, we're going to, you know, just fire up the tunes he goes have a couple drinks actually he's like you look terrible i was like all right fine no problem um not super productive the rest of that day but probably made you know probably made it back out but again i think it was like 23 or 24 so not impossible uh other was a golf tournament didn't go great drunk buddy broke my driver still to this day denies it never let anything go sure you're right all right so i had a pretty Standard, thing. like if I was going to work really hard for you, I expected that I could then sort of do it the right way of of how I was going to discount people. Pre tabs, it was a lot harder. Then you run a tab for somebody, you go down, you write, you know, one course light instead of two course lights. Uh, some people listening to this are like, hey, it's fundamentally wrong. It's not your booze to give away. Don't do that. When I bartended on the vineyard, that's kind of the way it was. It was like I would ask other bartenders. I was really young there. I don't know why they let me bartend. I think I was 19. But I would go. What do we do about like hooking up our friends? Like, do you have any friends that are actually of age? Because there were some people that pissed that I had shifts, and then there was a very split thing. I was, I was like, well, you know, isn't that, you know, again, I was young. I was like, I don't really know how this works I thought you're supposed to like hook your friends up, and this, this older woman was like, absolutely not. You don't. It's not your booze to give away. And then some other guy was like, fuck that. He's I like, do it all the time. Yeah. He's like, if you want to take care of some people. Within reason, he's like, but be ready because at that place, they used to hire spotters that would watch how you're ringing everything up. And then I, the owner at that place used to just stare at me like a hawk, but whatever, I wasn't doing anything. Back when I was in Vermont, I it was very liberal, but they also knew that I wasn't just going to start giving everything away the entire night. So it really depends on who you work for. Corporate stuff, not much of a chance. I don't have a fundamental problem with it if the owners understand that, hey, back then too, it was kind of like, this sounds stupid but like if if some athletes bartended they knew that people were going to come in and see them so it'd be busier on a non-friday or saturday night and then again this is college age stuff where it was understood that you're going to be giving guys dollar drinks every now and then again they also used to do the pre-made shit which was basically sour mix and fucking ice and they'd be like yeah give those away and you are like okay because you're not even really giving anything away anything other than some zarkov light dripped in nuclear waste so uh it really is depends about like if if you suck as a bartender, if you're stealing all the time, if you're drunk all the time, if you're just an idiot, then guess what? They're not gonna be thrilled with you doing dollar drinks every now and then. If you have your buddies show up and it's five deep and every one of them's paying a dollar for a drink every single time, that's not gonna work out all that well. I used to have this weird kind of deal where if I'd hung out with somebody, I'd be like, All right, you know, I'll just charge her a buck. And then the owner would be like, What's going on there? And I'd be like, eh. And he'd be like, Are you into her? Like, no, it's almost like I feel more guilty. So I charge a buck cause she's probably going to be super disappointed rather soon. And, um, uh, you know, that was a policy that the ownership had with me at the time. So I don't, I don't much have, uh, that was way too long too. go ahead, Kyle.
4: I think, I think it's, it's, I think there's a definitely a strong case to be made that it can help be, have repeat customers, you know, uh, especially in like a, a what's a Room's a policy rops- with you? I don't know shit about shit when it comes to that, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know nothing about nothing when it comes to Father's ah, policy to me. All right. I know Darkroom was hemorrhaging money and I thought that was awesome. And like when you brought up like, oh, your your five buddies comes in, they get dollar drinks. That was me at 22, 23, 24. Like this place is fucking awesome. And it's like, you know, I've, I've been here for, for four hours, like $35. It's like, well, I guess I owe you guys a big tip. But, you know, again, the place closed down. So, I mean, <laughs> you wonder how many times over that happened to the people that knew that they could you know, get hooked up every time. Uh, but I do think that there's a way of, you know, it, you can definitely say, Hey, the reason that this guy comes back here uh, twice a week, once a week, and doesn't go to the other bars that could be considered as divy as this is because he feels like he's got a rapport and he feels like, you know, every once in a while, a beer is going to fall off the back of the truck. Like that's, I think that's fine. And then it's sort of like jaywalking at the same time. Like it makes sense. It does make sense. But if you take the risk, it seems pretty low, but if you get caught, you could, you could end up, you know, fucking shit up for yourself. So it's much easier to do it this way. It makes a lot of sense to jaywalk on Hollywood Boulevard, um, rather than going like, you know, all around to do the thing. But you know, if there was a cop who took the time out of his day to be like, Hey, you're jaywalking, you're getting a ticket. You know, you just kind of have to accept those consequences. So it's convenient. It's nice. It's fun. I get it. Um, so just, I'd say run the risk, man, as long as you're not like taking stuff home. That's fine. It's like if bottles of Jameson aren't going missing.
0: Okay, but like, think of it this way. If there's 100 people in the bar that I was working on on a busy night, 90 to 95% of those people are paying full price the entire time. And so if I'm hooking up A handful of guys that are around but it's not a dollar in dollar out on every single thing or you know the other thing especially in a town like burlington where you know there's 10 bars with different bartenders and we would all go to everybody else's thing which actually was more expensive because you tip more than you were charged and so i was like actually can we just go back to full price this would be way easier um that's when the owner knows like okay this guy is on it and again those guys used to bartend they understood it. And hell, the guys that own the bars that I worked at used to be way worse with it. They were bartending for somebody else. They used to take a hundred bucks out of the register and throw it in the tip jar before the night started and then make up the hundred later being like, all right, let's go boys. And that was, that that was like their operating procedure. And then when I started, they were like, Hey, we're not doing that with you. I was like, I've never done that. So don't worry about it. Don't, (laughs) it's not a big deal. I think there's a way you can take care of your friends within reason. But again, if you're working for a corporation, none of this is going to happen.
4: Or, or I, new people that, you know, maybe want to be coming back to this bar. And if you can make it feel like they got a friend in you and that maybe they're getting a tiny bit of special treatment. If like, you know, one out of five beers. That's a draft. That's, you know, not really going to be a draft. In bottles.
0: One out of five. I like that. But sometimes it's like puppies with food, too. Where if you do it too early and it's too consistently, then the guy comes in. He thinks it's being taken care of. Well, um, you don't yeah. say
4: it out loud. You don't be like, hey, where's my free beer? Every once in a while, i to be like, hey, took care of that one for you. <laughs> You know, you don't hear "Where's my free beer?" a lot. Yes, exactly. As well, most people would be ashamed to say that. Hopefully, this
0: podcast is really long, so let's end it. Steve, Kyle, thank you. Ringer, Spotify, subscribe to the Ryan Rosillo podcast. We are a week away from the draft. We'll have an NBA champion uh, next time we talk to you. And Bill and I will be on Sunday.